Take it back to 2007, 2008. I was 16 when this began. 18 or 19 when it finally went to court. Picture a Norman Rockwell-esque suburban family. Parents, three kids, a yard and a dog. In the blink of an eye, you'll miss it, USA. One random day, a neighbor man has a mild dispute with his neighbor. As a totally warranted response, neighbor man, which I'll be calling NM from here on out, takes every hose he has and floods their yard. Solid decisions lead to solid consequences, so naturally, he was fined for waste of water. My parents run the water in small town USA, and because NM lived a block away from us, he decided to drive over to the water district shouting that he is an acquaintance of my parents. Second solid decision of many to come from NM. Absolutely no one takes kindly to name dropper folks, so tuck that gem away under life facts. My parents come in and tells him even if his kids did this, they would have the same repercussions. Gracefully glossing over the fact that other than maybe driving by one another, none of us had actually ever interacted with NM. NM repeats the name of the man working in the front desk as well as my parents name and claims it's now personal and storms out. My family members and I begin to see NM at random places constantly. The DMV, the grocery store, our respective jobs. Apparently, when you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and your parents pay for your house, you have all kinds of time to sulk. It went from random sightings while out and about to phone calls, the cliche 90s type of call, breathing, hangs up, and I can see you variety. At this point, NM was more of an annoyance than scary, but as I've stated, when you underestimate crazy, you lose every time. NM began parking across from our house, staying from 6pm to 4am, literally just sitting in his car, blasting music, staring at the house. Fool must have had the determination and bladder of a racehorse, because what the fuck, who sits there for 10-ish hours? His music was trash too. Maybe he was a masochist and into self-harm, seeing how long he could suffer through that shitty music and a full bladder. I doubt anyone with semi-rational concept of social interaction could fathom why. This went on from three to four times a week to a nightly occurrence. Imagine being a 16 year old female that doesn't even feel comfortable to change in her own room because of the prospect that he might see through the blinds somehow. Try to sleep knowing he's out there. We were prisoners in our own home. He began to get bolder. NM drove his car speeding up and down the sidewalk at my sibling and her partner while they were on the sidewalk out front coming home from a date. They both had to physically jump out of the way to avoid being hit. He made lewd gestures at me when I brought my dog out for a walk and was waiting for my siblings to come out to join us on the walk. It was so bad I ended up crying and going inside. This has been going on for a year at this point. The cops always say the same thing. There's nothing that we can do unless a threat is made against you or someone is harmed. My parents confronted NM after my incident to which NM called the cops and they came asking us why we were harassing and threatening NM. 
I never understood why the system waits until you're a victim rather than prevent someone from being victimized. Almost two years in and it's Christmas time. My parent has a brain aneurysm without any lingering effects, which is extremely rare. I get visit my other parent who had been living in the hospital with their sick partner to come home and shower and eat. About 9 p.m., we get a knock on the door. A random man with ratty clothes holding a Christmas present says he's here to deliver it to my family's name. We ask him who sent him and he says he can't say. We ask him who he works for and he shoves a gift at my parent and leaves. We are obviously uncomfortable to open it. My parent decided that they needed to know what was in it and opens the present. Inside is a 17-page document on the grounds of why NM is suing my parent that was currently in the hospital. Even I could tell it was fake with the grammatical errors and typos. NM took the time to sit and type this up himself, thinking it would scare us. The document and the fake details he put in did not. The fact that this 40-something-year-old man was fixated on my family that he sat and typed a 17-page fake document did scare us. Things progress and NM begins pacing in front of his car and pretending to have cell phone calls where he talked about pushing my parents down the stairs or knowing where us kids went to school and worked and how easy it would be to access us at any time. At the time, I worked closing shift that let me off about 1am. He would park his car next to my car and follow me home. One time, I even tried to take random roads, and he still stayed right behind me, pulling up to the house with NM parked across the street. Think neighborhood streets with maybe five feet between a car parked on the side and one on the other, and having to get out and run to the door was a nightmare. We were all exhausted from not only the aneurysm scare, but also living looking over our shoulders. My parents' friend told her friend who was the DA about the situation. She called and came over and took our case pro bono. Testifying was a wild ride. We had to put in official statements prior to being called to the stand. We were not allowed to be in the room when a family member was testifying, nor were we allowed to talk in the halls as we waited for our turn. Imagine reliving two plus years of traumatic experiences being cross-examinated where they made you out to be a liar and then not able to have your family comfort or support you afterwards. This was not ideal. There was enough to put him away for a year and a half as well as to grant a felony restraining order. We moved while he was still incarcerated. My sister passed while he was in prison and he immediately tried to sue her estate. She was 21 at her death when he was released. He claimed her testimony of him running his car at her and her partner was false and the only reason he got locked up. Not the case as there were harassment and stalking charges and that the money donated to a GoFundMe for her accident he was entitled to. There's so many more details but this was already long enough. So NM, let's never ever meet again you made us prisoners in our own home for years, are clearly still the same person, and have not learned a thing from the time you were locked up.
Okay, I don't know where to even post this, but I need advice. It's long, but it's weird as shit. A little over a year ago, I was approached via Twitter by a girl claiming she wanted to work together. Her location was not only in the same city as mine, but in the same community as well. After a brief convo in DMs, I realized this profile was strange. It was fake. I immediately blocked her and kept it moving. After this, it just gets so strange. This person continues to make fake profiles pretending to know me and eventually went into using fake phone numbers and numbers to text me via WhatsApp and a texting app. I never gave them my number. It's weird enough that this person is persistent in stalking and harassing me. I'm a freelance entrepreneur. A great portion of my income comes from online. So if it was up to me, I'd just unplug. But I can't let this harm my career. This person has went onto my friends' profiles to contact them. I have no idea how. I am very discreet. I do not interact with these friends online and somehow this person is finding them one by one over the past year and persistently harassing them, even making fake Facebook profiles to harass certain people I deal with. Not only my friends in the same area and group, but friends I have scattered in different cities. When I tell you, and this is not exaggerated, I have blocked over 100 Instagram, Twitter profiles texting app numbers and emails from this person and keep this in mind you need a new email to make an instagram i'm a single man of course i have lady friends i have no bad blood with any ex or former fling i'm on good terms with everyone as far as i know but someone is targeting me and any person they think i date or talk to romantically it has affected relationships with people i deal with Either someone I know secretly hates me and wants to make my life living hell, or a stranger is obsessed with me and wants to run everyone around me away from me. I have prayed on this man, like honestly just asking God to reveal who this is or make it go away. After a year, the persistence is starting to wear down. I have no idea who this is pressing me. I reported to the police, but they haven't done much. I even tried to hire a digital private investigator, but the few I've contacted say they can't help me. Can anyone please give me some direction? It's sick. Something has to give. So this process happened just a few months ago, so it shouldn't be hard to find. So at the start of the year, we were introduced to our teachers. All of them were good teachers except Miss C. So we went through our classes, and in each one we got those cheesy beginning of the year introductions. It was quickly clear her class wouldn't be a normal health class, as evidenced by the fact that during her introduction she went off about how terrible her divorced husband was. So classes started picking up, and her insecurities somehow kept making it into lectures. One day, a few weeks into school, she just stopped showing up to class. You know, her job, consistently. And now at this point, everyone was cutting her some slack because she was a single mom, but it just got worse. 
we'd have to do the whole units from a workbook with improvised substitutes who were actually most of the time school staff with no idea what they were doing. This cumulated when Miss C missed two weeks of school for no apparent reason. Most of the class could see her mental deterioration. Me and some friends in class started noticing some form of distress from Miss C. More and more stuff about her personal life would leak into lectures when she was there. Suddenly it came to a head. She suddenly became distant and developed a tough shell around her. Miss C actually started coming to school consistently too. She started bringing her kids into class, closer to toddlers but still. I have a hunch that she started doing this to help justify her inaction to her employers. One day she just sort of broke down in class about how horrible her ex-husband was for not taking equal responsibility for their kids. It was a bad joke at this point about how long Miss C would last before being fired. Unlucky for us, it was too long. We just sort of endured lectures from this mentally unstable woman. Mind you, she was doing a fine job at suppressing traits associated with that around other school employees. One day, we'd come in and she wasn't in class, breaking her streak of actually coming in. We then got our answers about how long she would last. A counselor walked into the room. Everyone knew what was up. She was gone. But what had gone down exactly? She had walked into her ex-husband's house on a Sunday before that class period. Her excuse to her ex was to deliver cold medicine to her kids. After threatening to call the cops after her home invasion, she locked herself in the bathroom. She called the cops and unlocked the door to the bathroom. She then walked over to her coat, pulled out a gun, and opened fire on her ex's girlfriend, killing her. Missy was pinned down until the cops showed up. This wasn't her first offense either. Suspiciously close to the time when she hardly showed up to her job, she had several assault charges against her and somehow managed to keep it a secret from her job. Weirdly enough, students who didn't have her as a teacher didn't take it seriously. It took less than 30 minutes after the info was made public to the students for them to make a meme page about the incident. Weird how that worked. It got taken down. Anyway, mentally unstable teacher who committed aggravated murder and let your insecurities leak into your teaching. Let's not meet again. Ms. M, it's been about 12 years or so now. I know you don't work there anymore, thankfully. I don't know what could have possessed an adult woman, 50 years old, no less, to torment and torture a child to the breaking point. Maybe you're just a miserable old bitch or was a loser in school, so you targeted other losers to bring yourself up. But how you treated me and evidently others was not only unprofessional, but very cruel and damaging. I was a good student before. Ms. M had my family members in years prior. Unlike me, my cousins and siblings are rowdy and can be a handful. She had words with my family before, so when I came along, I was a symbol of my family which she would take out her anger upon. I was meek and obedient, a perfect target. Ms. M would humiliate me any chance she could get. She would bring me in the front of class, call me stupid, idiot, ugly, pointed out when my legs weren't shaved, told me I looked like a boy. Mind you, I had long hair and stuff, just didn't wear makeup at that age. 
You would talk to me very slowly if I asked any questions. Talk to me like an actual dog. Bad girl. Go fetch. Beg. Etc. Told me I smelled bad. The list goes on and on. She would sometimes aggressively pat me on the head and shout, Good girl. When I completed one of her dog commands. She would actively encourage the other kids to make fun of me as well and further isolated me from everyone. I started to fear any interaction with her. I feared my classmates as well. A boy in my class was being relentless and made me cry one day, so I retaliated and threw a pencil at him. I was berated heavily and treated even worse after that. So I learned to shut down and take it all. My grades slipped. I cried every day at home. I kept most of it to myself, which Miss M probably knew I would, which is why she went so hard on me. My parents did try to get my class switched, but the school refused. Not only did Miss M act like an angel around other adults, but the other classes were apparently packed to capacity, so I couldn't switch. But I also think my parents didn't try very hard. The teacher conferences made things worse each time. She'd be alright for a day or two, but the hammer would come down harder. I had to keep all the torment inside to survive. She made fresh hot chocolates for the class the day before Christmas break. When she gave me mine, I was scared and accidentally knocked it all over myself. Always was a clumsy kid. Instead of being concerned in the slightest, because it was literally scolding hot, she just let out a flurry of screams and threatened that I had better get it cleaned up quickly and spotless or she would make me sorry. I did as I was told and ignored the searing pain in my foot. I was not allowed to call to get a change of clothes and I was the only one not allowed to have more. The pain in my foot stabbed literally every second. It didn't let up all day, but I was so terrified. I said nothing and didn't shed a single tear, though it hurt like hell. When I got home and pulled off my sock, my skin came off with it from the burn. My mother was livid and finally stood up for me. After Christmas break, Ms. M was overly sugary to me. Why didn't you tell me about your foot, sweetie? And was overly accommodating. It scared me. I thought it was a trap. To my surprise, it lasted about two weeks. Must have had her ass handed to her. She wasn't as bad as before but still sought to crush my spirit. On the last day of school, she refused to let me take any pictures of her. I wanted one to burn. She was very grouchy that day towards me, almost acting defeated. Although my grades were bad, I skimmed by and was moving to middle school. Her dog was off its leash and she was powerless to keep her toy. She was hoping I'd fail. After 6th grade, I stopped caring about school. I failed a year, barely skirted by others, landed in the dropout prevention program in high school. I had few friends, none of which I still have. I found it hard to trust teachers or authority figures anymore. I never made scenes or anything, I just sat there quiet and did nothing. Before I actually tried, actually cared. I had teachers disappointment in me because of how well I performed in math and on tests. I never had test anxiety and they wanted me in the math leads one year, but I just didn't care, which I attribute, at least in part, to Ms. M. She changed my life for the worse. The psychological damage Ms. M did to me cut deep 
It's hard to convey in a brief post what it was like every day for that whole year. She tore down what confidence I had. She made me afraid to trust anyone. She made me believe I was worthless. She made me feel every insult and criticism to the bone. She made me close into myself and learn to take abuse. She made me believe I was completely alone and had nobody in my corner. I was stupid, ugly, worthless, not even human. The kids from my school that came with me reinforced it as well. They also believed I was just a dumb dog and treated me as such. She dug her claws in deep and the scars still remain. I have tried to grow past it, but it's a hard thing to overcome. So to you, Ms. M, you're not a teacher. You're an abusive psychopath who used her powers of authority to tear down and relentlessly torture a child. I hated you then, but as an adult, I just feel sorry for you. I don't know what could possibly go through an adult's mind that would make them see a vulnerable little girl as a target for sick games. Maybe you saw yourself in me and hate yourself, since we were both kind of outcasts. So you desperately tore me down and encouraged others so you could finally feel like you belonged, even if it was a bunch of children. Either way, I'm glad you were finally removed years later, and I hope your stain on the world is soon wiped clean. I hope that others you did this to, which is why you got removed, live happy lives without having you as even a passing thought. We are not weak and do not deserve to be held as your victims. You did teach us that there are bad people out there. We may have struggled from it, but we pushed on. Hopefully none of us will ever meet you again. I'm not quite sure how to even start this story. A lot of things I've experienced never really fits in the subreddit's guidelines until yesterday when this story wormed its way into my head again. This story happened when I started at a new school in the middle of 6th grade. I'm 19 now. This was technically my first middle school and for so many reasons I transferred out. This definitely didn't help. About halfway through I switched into Spanish to finish out the year. I had almost always had a foreign language class so I thought it would be a pretty easy grade to end with. There was a lot of buzz surrounding the Spanish teacher, Mr. D, and when I first saw him and how he acted, I thought I could tell why. He was a pretty eccentric guy who if you only heard his voice and weren't looking at his stern face, you would think he was pretty jovial. He almost always pronounced our names wrong and he had this gigantic windmill on wheels in the corner of his room. The windmill reminded me that I actually heard about this teacher from an older boy called Jay in my Sunday school class. I remember telling him I was going to a school. My mom and I had ran away in the middle of my 6th grade year and I would start a new school after Christmas break ended. It was nice to know I had at least a couple people that I knew so I asked them to tell me about the school or if they had any advice. Jay told me that if I ever got Mr. D to transfer out immediately. It sounded a bit dramatic, but as we got more acquainted with Mr. D, so too did he get more acquainted with us. One thing that always made us uncomfortable was how he would rub chapstick on his lips very aggressively for like a minute, which was definitely made worse when he'd stand with one leg resting on something and his crotch leaning forward. Sure, it's pretty uncomfortable, but not the worst thing in the world. Just a bit odd. Have you ever seen a woman with her boobs rested on a desk? 
Sometimes it's on purpose, and sometimes it's on accident, especially when you're short and sitting down. Mr. D started doing this, but with his dick. He'd stand close to the desk to look at our work, but his bulge would be laying on their desk. He wasn't desk dick height either, so he had to stretch a little to do it. But given how strange he already seemed to be, I brushed it off as him not being self-aware. I just feel bad for the first row. Flash forward, all of his little idiosyncrasies seemed to be more prominent as the days marched on. I remember once he even answered his phone and carried on a conversation for a bit before stepping out of class. A side note, he wasn't a great teacher. He wasn't even a good teacher. English obviously wasn't his first language, which was fine, but he was there to teach Spanish. Unfortunately, he didn't speak Spanish either. He always tried to use a school PC to pull up Spanish videos on YouTube for us to mindlessly stare at on his personal laptop. Like I said, a pretty easy class. I just felt bad for the other students who didn't already know certain things when the test came. We walked in one day and on my desk and the desk in front of mine, there were semi-straight lines of off-white liquid. It was mainly on my desk and thinned across the chair and the desk in front. Mr. D came over, not quite fast enough, as the kid began to ask me what it was. All we got was nothing, as he very quickly wiped away with his hands and rubbed it on his pants. He couldn't say it was water because it wasn't clear. It really only looked like one thing, but there wasn't any way to definitely prove it was. I tucked my hands in my sleeves and did my best not to touch my desk. A few weeks after that, I came into my English class I had at the end of the day to hear one of the girls having a pretty loud argument with our English teacher. I walked in at the middle, but the girl, Megan, was extremely upset and asking why she shouldn't go to the principal. Megan was a bit of a hothead, sure, but she was still a really nice girl. I couldn't see her dramatizing a situation this much. I found out what happened from my best friend at the time, who was in Mr. D's class when it went down. Their class was ahead of us, so their test was scheduled for that day. After papers were passed out, Mr. D went back to zoning out on his laptop until Megan needed to ask a question. She had her hand up for ages and he never noticed her, so she went over to where he was and freaked out at him. He was watching porn with the sound off on his laptop that he always brings with him and gave all his attention to. So when I came in, Megan was being reprimanded for being pretty verbal with Mr. D. Our teacher was basically telling her she shouldn't have been upset with the teacher watching porn in class and that that's his laptop as if that nullifies anything. Looking back, it explains so much of his shifty behavior, the desk dick rests, the hardcore stares, the personal laptop all the time, and the definite cum on her desk. It wasn't the first time he had done it and it wouldn't have been the last time if he hadn't got suspended for the rest of the month. Mr. D disappeared and we had a sub to finish out the rest of the school year with us. I got the fuck out of that school after everything that happened, but still keep in touch with a couple of friends who went. They told me that Mr. D was back for a while as the gym teacher and co-soccer coach and the next year taught English. I really want to say it surprises me that he was brought back even without knowing about anything he teaches. In hindsight, that school was atrocious. I have so many memories of bad shit students and teachers alike did. Another teacher was also given suspension for actively looking down girls shirts and up girls skirts 
when they bent over. It's just concerning to know Mr. D still works there. I've had a lot worse shit happen to me, and I still suppress this memory for ages. So teacher, who came on my desk and definitely scarred some kids for life, let's not meet. So when I was 7 years old, I was in kindergarten. My birthday is late in the year, so I couldn't apply when I was 6 like most kids since it was through the school year. We had a teacher, Mr. H, but this isn't about him. It's about a substitute I had one day. I admittedly don't remember his name as he was only there for one day. Mr. H was amazing, very caring, very good with kids. This substitute was not. He was generally weird and quiet and didn't talk to us much besides what was absolutely required, like our daily story time. Issues arrived at story time. I was wearing a skirt with leggings underneath it. I was never feminine. Turns out I'm trans, so it makes sense. So I didn't cross my legs like a lady and like my parents taught me. But hey, I was seven. So after story time, we had a little time that was like a free period. So kids painted, some just talked, some napped, or ate snacks. I was an avid reader, so I was reading like usual, sitting in the reading corner. The substitute was sitting there too. Nobody else was in this corner. The substitute turns to me and says, very bluntly, are you wearing panties? Because it doesn't look like you are. Keep this in mind, I didn't have my legs widespread just not crossed. I also had leggings under my skirt. Also for the record, I was wearing panties. At the time, I was being abused sexually at home, so I honestly didn't think much of it. That sort of stuff was normal to me at the time, but I was still a little put off. I decided to read somewhere else and got up to move to the other side of the classroom. The substitute followed me. Throughout the entire block, the substitute followed me around the class, keeping his eye on me as I did various kid stuff, like playing with the sand table, painting, and reading. Every time we were doing anything complicated, like basic addition or spilling, he'd be hovering over me, even though I didn't need help. He was also very touchy. He was constantly touching my shoulder, running his fingers through my hair, among other things. He never directly touched me, inappropriately but I was very uncomfortable with being touched at all due to the abuse at home. I ended up going home unscathed and honestly, I didn't even tell my parents. I didn't realize it was even weird until years later when I was about 11 and coping with the rest of my trauma that I realized that that was really, really creepy. So creepy kindergarten substitute teacher, let's not meet again and I hope someone braver than I caught you and you got what you deserve. When I was younger, every year for Christmas, I would drive upstate to my aunt's house on a long stretch of highway. I can't for the life of me remember the name of the road. All I know is it runs nearby Akron, New York at some point. However, most of the drive is through rural areas with little to no towns nearby. So it was the dead of the night and my groggy self had gotten off a long shift and had to drag my ass to my aunt's house since my extended family was expecting me the following morning. Near halfway through my drive, I realized I was low on gas, which irritated me. 
My brother told me that he would fill it up the day before, so either he had forgotten or he was straight lying. I saw an archaic looking sign for a gas station off the next road. It wasn't an official road sign, literally a pole with a slab of metal attached with gas off next exit or something along those lines painted on it. That seemed a little sketchy, but people do the same thing for fruit stands on the highways. So whatever. I pulled off the next exit on some dilapidated country ass road through dense woods. The whole thing was creepy and surreal. I kept expecting Leatherface to come running out of the trees with a chainsaw. Anyways, eventually I came to a gas station and quickly realized it hadn't been open for years. It was all rusted and the convenience store's roof was caving in. The gas pumps had all been taken out as well. I pulled over next to it and checked my gauge. I would probably only make it another half mile before running out, so I called AAA and asked them to send a truck over. Now I played the waiting game. I left my engine on because when the headlights were off, everything was pitch black and my paranoid self was sitting there in an abandoned gas station in the middle of the forest in complete darkness. Most of the wait was uneventful until I sensed movement around the side of the old store where my lights are pointed. I looked up but didn't see anything more, so I looked back down on my phone. Then over the sounds of the night, I hear someone yell, Hey buddy, come here, in a demanding tone. I look up and I shit you not, there's a dude standing by the old store, looking towards me, illuminated by my headlights. He looked like a run-of-a-mill homeless guy. I was honestly spooked and figured he must be squatting there. Still watching him, I rolled down my window and yelled something like, Yeah, what's up? Still mentally crapping myself, I had my foot ready to floor it out of there at the first sign of trouble. You got any change? Nah, I don't. Sorry, man. I looked up at him. He has this kind of vacant expression and he's standing stiff. Then I see more movement. There are heads, about 20 or so heads, peeking out from behind the trees beyond the man I was talking to. I can't see them clearly at all, but they were definitely people, literally just heads staring at my direction from all around the trees. I see another guy beginning to walk from around the gas station, so I then turned around and sped off. I got as far away from the place as my tank could take me and updated AAA on my location. The driver came back over and filled me up and I didn't say anything. After he left, I wanted to call the cops, so I called the nearest town's sheriff department. They said that they would send a trooper over and I gave them the location. When I got to my aunt's house, they called me back and said whoever it was was gone, but that they could tell a large number of people had been living there for a while. Blankets, canned food, the usual. The whole situation still freaks me out, but frankly, I can consider myself lucky as I'll always have such a creepy story to tell, and I'm just glad nothing bad happened. To the creepy dudes at the gas station, let's not meet. I went to college that was integrated into a big city, so even though there was a campus, there was plenty of shops, back streets, public transportation, and just regular people walking around. So I was part of a club that went late into the night. I usually only stayed till 9 or 9.30 and then would leave, usually with a friend. The club was in the center of campus while I lived east of it, about a 15 to 20 minute walk. This was a foggy late fall, early winter night. My friend had left early because 
They weren't feeling well. I ended up staying late and began to walk home close to 10.30 p.m. So I started walking down a back street that was quiet but led right to my dorm. It was after a few minutes that I heard some footsteps somewhere behind me. I stopped, thinking it was a jogger and moved to the side to let them pass. Then I noticed that there was no one coming and the footsteps had stopped. I shrugged and started walking. Then the footsteps started up again. I stopped and it stopped. I started to get a bad gut feeling and quickly walked to the side street that connected to the back street to the bigger main street. This street had a lot of lights, plenty of cars, and still a good number of people on it. I walked back to my dorm from there. The next morning, I wake up and check my emails. One was from the campus alert system. Apparently, an hour after I got back to the dorm, someone was stabbed on the back street. Victim was rushed to the hospital and survived, saying that the perpetrator followed them down the back street before stabbing them. The perpetrator was never caught, but I have no doubt that that was the person that tried to follow me, and I'm glad I trusted my gut. After this, I made sure to never stay at club past 9.30, and to always leave with someone that was at least walking in the same direction as me. This happened earlier today, and I'm still creeped out. We live in a cozy neighborhood where we know all of our neighbors. We have a huge front yard, and since I can see them from the front window, while I stay in the living room, I sometimes let my kids play outside alone. We live directly across the street from my mother, and like I said, we know basically everyone else too. Today, my three-year-old wanted to go out in the front yard and try out her new sand toys. I send her out while I finish my breakfast. She's out there for a while, and then she walks out of sight. I step out to remind her to stay in the front where I could see her. I take the dogs out with me and put him on his leash. My dog immediately starts barking at something and I noticed a van parked in the corner of her yard that was previously blocked from my view by the other car in the driveway. A man is parked in our yard watching my daughter. He looks up, sees me, and then speeds away like a bat out of hell before I could even process what's going on. Kid didn't even seem to notice, and I hurried her inside. So yeah, guy in the van, let's not meet. Hey guys, I'm going to tell you something that happened around 4 months ago, and I'm a 14 year old male. We have a Bernice Mountain dog called Ava, who is 2 and weighs about 120 pounds, so she is very big. She's quite a lazy dog, but also seems to be alert at all times. So one night, my parents went out for dinner and left me home with Ava. I was downstairs watching TV, and my lounge is right next to the front door. Around 8pm, the door rings and I open it to see a guy in fairly plain clothes standing there, and he told me that he had a delivery here. I was confused because he didn't look like a delivery driver and had no parcel. Suddenly, I turn my head to see another guy on the side of the driveway, which goes to the back door, and he starts to walk towards the back door. I freak out, and the guy at the door notices this and barges through, shouting for the other guy. This is when Ava wakes up and begins to let out the loudest bark I've ever heard, making the guy stumble back. 
She rushes towards him and jumps up, grabbing his shoulder and literally throwing him out the door. His buddy came along but saw Ava and started to run. The other guy managed to slip out of Ava's grip and run down the road. I somehow managed to get Ava to stay, so I didn't lose her, and they got away. I was shook up and rang my parents and the police and gave them my statement. Safe to say Ava got plenty of treats from then on, and I always keep her nearby when I'm on my own. When I was a student teacher, I was 21 and working with mostly seniors in high school, many of which were 17 or 18 years old. One day, the mentor teacher I was working with pulled me aside from teaching class to inform me that the other teachers have overheard some students telling each other that they wanted to do me. While disturbing, many of my friends and colleagues insisted that that is a fact of being a young teacher, working with high schoolers. The next day, I had a few girls in my class approach me and inform me that three boys were no longer just talking about what they wanted to do, but were graphically describing what they were planning to do with me in the coming weeks after school in the parking lot. Far more details than I'd like to share. I went to the administration immediately, and they handled it very quickly and professionally. I was very grateful for their support. I was never touched or harmed by any of these students, thankfully. What scared the absolute crap out of me, however, in the later weeks, one of the boys was arrested and pulled out of school. I didn't find out immediately, but I eventually learned that he was being held for the alleged sexual assault of his younger sister. It makes me sick thinking about. I generally hope I never meet him again. It's terrifying to think what could have happened if I had not had some wonderful staff and students looking out for me. Back when I was in the third grade, there was a hill with a playground at the top. One day, while everyone was playing at the park, as it was recess, this middle-aged man wearing nothing but cargo shorts came to the bottom of the hill and leaned over the fence that was there. He began to call kids over to him. When kids came over to him, he wrapped them in blue tape, mainly around their hands. This went on for 15 minutes when the fourth grade science teacher, the saint she is, began to run down to the guy. Now, this woman can be very intimidating when she wants to be. She later became the principal. Anyway, the second the guy saw her, he walked away. He obviously didn't really care about getting caught. So creepy blue tape guy, let's not meet. I don't have a car, so Uber and Lyft is my main mode of transportation to get to work. This morning, I requested an Uber a half hour before I had to get there, and the pickup was supposed to take less than five minutes. For some reason, my Uber driver kept going in circles. He ended up calling me, asking me for directions, and I was telling him exactly where he needed to go, and so was the GPS in the background. At that point, I was irritated and asked if there was a way he could cancel it because I was going to be late. He said that he couldn't and ended up finding his way to my apartment. At the time, I was supposed to be at work. He kept apologizing and I mumbled, it's fine, I just need to get there. He ended up taking me to another store that was on the way and asked, this is right? It took all of me not to just blow up. I calmly gave him directions to the actual store I worked at. 
and just told him to please listen to the GPS. He finally gets me to my job, and I'm nearly 20 minutes late. And as soon as he parked, I muttered, thanks, got out, and bolted to the office to clock in. An hour or so into my shift, one of my managers came up to tell me that the Uber driver had been harassing the people in the front of the store, trying to get a hold of me, my manager, to take fault for me being late and apologize to me. He needed a membership to go into the store, so he kept getting kicked out. He tried four or five separate times to come in. Another hour goes by and a different manager approaches me to let me know that the Uber driver had resorted to blowing up the store's phone, begging to speak to me. She asked me not to leave alone and to be on the lookout in case he came back. I contacted Uber support multiple times to let them know and you want to know what they did about it? They gave me a $3 credit. I made sure to give him a one star so I wouldn't get him as a driver again but it's just scary to think that he knows where I live and work. In December of 2018, Max and I split up after seven years in a relationship. I was new to the dating game, so I didn't just want to jump into it. In February, I met this guy at a bar. The second time I met him, we exchanged numbers. By the end of March, I was feeling pretty comfortable and invited him to a party at my house. He stayed after the party, and one thing led to another. Well, after it was all said and done, I had a weird vibe. He was too pushy and made me uncomfortable, so I asked him to leave. I planned never to speak to him again. That is until he started to text me from random numbers. He would say things like, Hope you're having fun fishing. When I didn't even post to social media that I was fishing. I hope the movie was good when I hadn't even posted anything online that I was at the movies. He would text me to ask me where in the bar I was at different bars when I never told anyone or posted where I was going. We had no mutual friends, so he was following me. The final straw was when my friend took me to Washington, D.C. for my 25th birthday celebration. We bar hopped all over the city. Around 2.30, we come out of the last bar we were at and decided to get some cookies across the street. As we were coming out of the cookie shop, guess who pops up? You guessed it, he does. He goes, I hope blank blank and blank were fun. I wanted to say hi earlier, but since you haven't been replying to my messages, I didn't want to freak you out. I was terrified. My friend's husband thankfully stepped in and called him out and threatened to call the police. I changed my number and moved, and thankfully, I haven't heard from him since. So to the guy, I mistakenly have my first one I stand with. Let's not meet again. So I was 13 at the time this happened. It was coming up to my mom's birthday and I had no idea what to get her. So I called my aunt for help. We agreed to meet in town Saturday afternoon after my piano lesson so we wouldn't have to rush. I went to my piano lesson as usual, dropped my books back off at the house, and went to the bus stop to get a bus into town. As I was waiting, a taxi pulled up and the driver rolled down his window and called out, Are you off to town, hon? I'll give you a lift. Without moving closer to the taxi, I replied that I couldn't afford the taxi and the bus would be there in a few minutes. It was as usual running late. The taxi driver became insistent that I get in the taxi and that he wouldn't charge me to go to town. I stood my ground, refusing to get in. His tone became more aggressive as he demanded I get into his taxi. 
Over the next minute or so, someone else arrived at the bus stop and the taxi driver sped off, swearing at me for not getting into the taxi. I told my aunt what happened when I met her in town and she asked if I got the license plate number so she could report the incident. I explained that I didn't want to move closer to the taxi to get the number and that at first I thought he was just looking for a fare. My aunt was pretty sure that if I had gotten into the taxi, I wouldn't have been dropped off in town, but taken somewhere else and told me if this ever happened again to tell him, fuck off or I will scream, and if they were to approach, that I should run. So taxi driver, who may have been trying to kidnap me, let's not meet again. This story is about a man named John that I met while working retail. John is an older white man, in his mid-fifties, well-dressed, well-spoken, shoulder-length steel gray hair, and a low ponytail tied back. At the time, I was working at a farm and a pet supply store. I was called over to help a customer look at electric fences and shock collars for dogs, which I am steadfastly against, but I had to help the customer. I asked him what I could help him with, and he said he was interested in an electric fence for his dogs says he had a cabin in the woods and wanted to make sure they didn't get away. He said, Oh yes, I'm looking to use shock collars, maybe on you. Thoroughly creeped out, I tried to laugh it off and tell him no thank you. I finally got him someone that knew more than I did and thought that that would be the end of it. Of course it wasn't. The next time he saw me, he said, I've been looking for you. I bought what I wanted. I wanted to slap you the next time I saw you. I told him if he ever hit me, I would absolutely hit him back. So then, a few days later, he told me that he would really like to take me out for lunch one day. I politely declined. He would come into the store and look for me, but I would see him before he saw me. One day, I saw him first. I tried to hide until he left, but no, he found me in the back of the department. He said, just so you know, I'm not dressed up for you today. I have a meeting with a bank. But if I didn't, I'd be taking you out for lunch. You know, I can tell you dye your hair. You look so beautiful, but that doesn't mean anything to you, does it? It might mean something if you like me back. He was never banned from the store, even after one of my managers heard him say these things to me. About two years ago, I moved into a new apartment. The walls were very thin, and because of fire safety laws in my city, my bedroom had one window, which led into the living room, and none with outside access. The window will be important later. It was three bedrooms, one for me, 
one for the master tenant and one spare, which at the time was rented by a pretty friendly guy. Well, friendly guy had issues with his work visa and had to move back to Canada last minute, leaving us about two weeks to find another roommate. Our quickest and easiest option was Craigslist. Due to my work schedule, I had no part in the selection process, but was content when the new roommate moved in a little later. He seemed a bit off, but friendly. He was a very tall, large guy, but pretty quiet, and not someone I wanted to go out of my way with to hang out, but was okay being around and cordial with. About two weeks into his move-in, the master tenant left for Hawaii, leaving him and I alone in the home for the month-long duration of his stay. For the first few days, things are normal. All of a sudden, about four days into the trip, I am awoken up at 8am to frantic knocking at my door. Roommate, we'll call him Kyle, is standing there when I open up, looking frazzled. He looked me dead in the eye and says, So do you want to tell me what went down last night? To which I was shocked and confused, because I had came home from work at 9pm and immediately showered and went to bed. I explain this to him and he tells me that he heard me screaming and arguing with someone in my room. That he saw me in the side alleyway, out the window, arguing with our landlord whom I have never even seen at this point. That he heard people coming in and out of our house. I told him no way, none of that ever happened. After staring at me for a little longer, he leaves and doesn't bring it up again. The next morning, I wake up to the same thing. This time, he says that I was arguing with my boyfriend. I was single at this time. That he had seen me talking with our other roommate, who was still in Hawaii and asking me for a badge number of the officer I spoke to, since he had apparently seen me talking to a bunch of police as well. This time, I get angry and more or less tell him to cut his shit out because I'm not doing anything and don't know what the hell he's talking about. He gets a weird look on his face and says, I think I had seizures in my sleep. The next time it happens, call the ambulance and leaves for a bit, only to start knocking again about an hour later. And when I open up, Kyle repeats the exact same story verbatim. This happens once more before I tell him to leave me the fuck alone, and then I leave for work. I go to work as normal, and I am reluctant to return that night, but I am too tired to switch to an alternate location. Big mistake. About 1am, I wake up to slamming doors. Kyle's pacing back and forth between his bedroom, the living room, and out of the front door. Walking in and out of each room, turning the light on and off, mumbling angrily, and slamming the doors. I can see his figure pacing back and forth through the frosted window in my room that leads into the living room. Since my room is dark, he cannot see inside. Suddenly he screams, I can't live like this. Why are you doing this to me? I think he's on the phone and don't respond. A few minutes later, he screams my name out repeatedly and I realized he was directing it towards me. I knew I had to get the fuck out of there, so I very quietly crept out of my bed and started getting dressed and packing a bag of clothes for work in the morning. I'm almost done when he screams, I hear you, and charges over to my room, slapping the wall next to my door, but not touching the door itself. I look towards my window and see his shadow leaned all the way forward, pressing his ear against the glass. I was fucking terrified and sat completely still, unmoving. He eventually screams out my name again and moves away from the window and I hear him start pacing back and forth between the rooms again. 
Now, my shoes are kept on a rack outside my door and not inside my room, so I know that when I leave, I'm going to need a moment to put them on. I decided to wait until his pacing takes him out of the front door again, at which time I plan to grab my shoes, put them on, and run. As I was formulating this plan, the pacing stops. He screams, Do you want to fucking fight me about this? Come out right now, and we'll fight, I swear to God. I'm a very small, five foot girl, and this guy was easily three times my size, so I'm definitely not looking to fight things. After a few minutes, he, he turns off all the lights again, and I hear the door to his room open and close, followed by silence. I waited for a moment to be sure that I couldn't hear any movement, and that's when I decided to take my chance. I took a breath and pulled my door quickly open. I step out and grab my shoes before I look up a second later and see him standing shirtless with just a pair of boxers and socks on in the dark of the hallway. His arms hung slightly outwards in an awkward position. He says in a low, calm voice, Ma'am, we need to talk. That was a hard no from me, so I grabbed my shoes and ran out the door with them in hand. I ran about half a block barefoot before I stopped and put them on. When I look back, he's standing in the porch light of our front door, watching me run, but not moving. Luckily, I had a friend that lived two blocks away, and I had a spare key. I let myself in and crashed there for the night. That's where I stayed for the next week or so, while working things out with my master tenant, and Kyle agreed to move out within the week. He says he doesn't remember anything that happened, or wasn't sure if it was real or not. But if I said that's what went down, then it must be real. The day Kyle left, he sent me a photo of the house key sitting on the table and says, I'm out, and nothing else. I take a friend over with me to scout it out and ensure that he actually left. When we get there, we discover that not only had he left a ton of food on the furniture, but he had ripped all the fire alarms out from the ceiling. He had unscrewed and removed the deadbolt from the front door and had left them lined up near the front table. We then realized that the front door can only be locked by using the key from the outside, and it had been locked when we arrived, meaning Kyle still had a key. We called the locksmith immediately. Even after changing the locks, I was still terrified to stay there alone afterwards, and never went to sleep at night without barricading the doors with chairs and other furniture. To this day, I still fear for his safety. He was obviously psychologically unstable. But I also wonder what could have happened if I hadn't been as lucky as I was. Since the moment I started working at this restaurant six months ago, the alley behind the restaurant has always given me an uncomfortable feeling. To gain a layout of this restaurant, it's located in the middle of downtown, five minutes from the Mexico-US border. Since we are located in the tip of Texas, in the Rio Grande Valley, the alley itself is not located right behind the establishment. You must walk past its patio, then past our garage, until you reach the side back door that you have to prop open as the door locks behind you once it's closed. During the day, I usually see people walking back and forth across the alley when I have to take out the trash. It's typically a safe location, though it's also prominent for its homeless population. They are usually harmless, despite a few that are noticeably mentally ill. My colleagues have even got to know a few of them, and have given them leftovers whenever possible. I work as part of the kitchen staff at the restaurant, and most of the time we'll work past 10pm. 
At night, my boss usually never lets women take out the trash just to be safe. Especially a petite, 5 foot, Hispanic, 28 year old female. Anyways, since the quarantine started, our kitchen staff has become quite small. So I'll usually help take out the trash with one of the other men working. This night was pretty slow and my fellow co-workers and I were encouraged to clean up and leave early. At around quarter to ten, I decided to get two of the slightly full trash bags and take them out back myself, assuming someone will see my actions and take the other two after me. As I walked past the patio to the garage, my gut began to fluster. I got to the back door and paused. Maybe you should wait, I told myself, but the smell protruding from the bags was nauseating. I pushed the door and propped it open with a brick we usually kept nearby. The alley was dark and silent. The air felt menacing. The only light illuminating was the bulb above the door. I walked quickly to the bins and lifted the top and dumped the trash. Then slowly a man stood up from the other side of the dumpster. He wasn't very big but he looked a lot older. He was sweating. Demeanor seemed agitated. He must have been crouching there and waiting for some time. I jumped back holding my hands above my heart that seemed to be pulsing through my chest. The man looked at me, eyeing me as my steps moved backwards. He shook his head, motioning me to stop. He was far too close for me to outrun him. I looked at his bushy brows and dark black eyes. Most of him was still cloaked in the night that surrounded us. His clothing didn't look homeless. But I assumed he was since it was common for them to be out here at this hour, usually waiting for food. I told him I had no leftovers and he shook his head again and took out a medium sized knife. My eyes widened as I took in a breath. The following exchange took place in Spanish but I'll translate. I don't have my purse, I was working. I'm still working. Just come with me, he said using his knife as a pointer. My mouth grimaced. Having no idea where the small amount of courage came from, I said, My friend is coming right now with the rest of the trash. No, come now. He said more hurriedly and stepped closer, and I stepped back again, speaking again with him, a little more tenacity. They all saw me come over here. There's more trash, and he's coming right now. He's outside right now. I just need to yell. You're not going to scream. I'll gut you. To this day, I don't know what came over me, but I replied with, Mirame, watch me. We looked at each other, daring each other. Then we both heard footsteps coming from outside the garage. He ran past me. I stood there breathing again. I didn't even know I was holding my breath. I turned to see my friend, John, come out of the door. We're almost done over. He stopped after seeing my face. What happened? I explained everything and tears ran down my face. My friend decided to run down the alley to try to catch him, even though I told him not to and that he's gone by now. It was about five minutes until he came back. John relayed to me that no one was around except for some homeless guys we were familiar with. He asked them if they saw anyone running from the alleyway and they said yeah, but they didn't recognize the man and he took off in the opposite direction towards the border. John took me back inside and told her boss what happened. They called the cops, whose station was pretty close by. They sent someone to patrol the area from the description of which I gave. My boss let me leave early and John walked me to my car. He told me it's too bad we didn't keep a camera back there 
it would have been cool to see how I handled the guy. I smiled slightly, but my stomach was still in knots. He looked at me and apologized. I moved my hand to stop him and told him I'll be fine. Unfortunately, I still have to work there, but I have been excused from trash duty from now on. Obviously, they never found him. I don't want to think what would have happened to me if I had been more complicit. Something gave me the courage to argue back to him, and thank goodness that my friend came out just in time. So man, waiting behind the dumpster, I hope we never meet again. To put this into context, I'm an 18 year old girl living in New Zealand. I suffer from anxiety and shut down in stressful situations and become rather overwhelmed when I'm not sure how to deal with something. This story happened yesterday while I was waiting at my bus stop. I had a long day at work and my legs were in pain and I wanted to get home and watch some YouTube in bed. It was getting dark and the sun was almost completely down. As I was listening to some music in a rather deserted area of the bus station, a man considerably larger than myself walked up and sat directly next to me on the bench, which I didn't think much of. To put this into perspective, I'm roughly 55 kgs, he must have been at least 100 and could have easily overpowered me. I noticed out of the corner of my eye that this man was staring at me and I began to feel a little uncomfortable but pegged it up to him looking at my mask. It's rather nondescript and just black. I ignored this and acted busy on my phone to avoid talking. As I said, I had a long day at work. The man began to talk and I pulled on my airpod to listen to what he was saying to me. The airpod fell and landed on the ground to which he picked up for me, held onto it and stared at it for a few seconds before handing it back to me. I was getting pretty bad vibes from this man. The conversation went something like this. Your eyes are beautiful. Did you get them from your mom or dad? Uh, mom I guess. I kept my replies short trying to signify I wasn't in the mood to talk, but he continued, What bus are you catching? Where do you live? I laughed nervously and told him I don't feel very comfortable sharing where I lived, but told him it was farther up north. He then said, Why? It's not like I'm going to rape you. Isn't it fancy up there? This is where I began to feel seriously uncomfortable and began to shake. He asked me if I had a boyfriend, to which I said yes, and he proceeded to ask me if I planned to marry him, to which I laughed and said yes. Oh, it kind of sounds like you're just rooting him. Are you sure you want to marry him? I was shocked and looked at him again before telling him, again, yes, I do plan on marrying my partner. How old are you? I don't know what came over me, but I told him I was 21 to try to make it come across that I was old enough to stand up for myself. Are you on the pill? I'm sorry, I don't feel comfortable sharing that, and don't see why you need to know that. Oh, so you use condoms instead, eh? I wanted to walk away, but I was grounded to the bench and couldn't move a muscle if I tried. I was uncomfortable and confused as to why he was asking me these questions. Do you have someone waiting for you at the bus stop, or are you walking home? How far do you live from the bus stop? This is the question that made everything click into place. And I realized this guy had malicious intent. He's not being friendly. The man is going to follow me home and either rape me or kidnap me. I started to really panic and desperately looking for onlookers. 
a young man, walked out of the public bathroom and had overheard the conversation and was looking at the predator rather skeptically. I knew then I'd at least have someone to help me if I asked for it. I didn't. By this point, I recalled a video from r slash about a highly pregnant woman and her daughter being followed to their car in an empty car park in the dark by an older man. This lady stressfully tried to find her keys in her purse and the man was standing beside her daughter on the opposite side of the car making small talk with them. He got impatient and walked away just before she found her keys. Someone commented on her submission saying this was a popular thing and that he was waiting for her to unlock her car so he could get in and control her via threats to her children. It occurred to me that I should skip my bus and catch another one at a later time. I did exactly that. He kept trying to ask me where I live and I continued to refuse. He also continued to ask how far I lived from the stop and if my partner was waiting for me. I deflect all his questions and after 40 minutes he begins to get grumpy and walks away from the station. He wasn't there to catch a bus at all, but to prey on a young woman at a bus stop. I caught the bus 10 minutes after he left and ran home where I completely broke down and cried in the arms of my partner. This morning I was so stressed, I contemplated taking the day off and staying in bed to rest for the day. I didn't. I'm at work posting this, but I was petrified. I live in France and this story happened to me this summer. Just after the lockdown ended, I was and still am 19. After the lockdown ended, I went to my grandparents to spend a few weeks. I got tested before and no problems there. My grandparents live in a small city in the north part of France and they have a dog who's quite a big boy. When I was young, I lived with my grandparents for a year and at that time the dog was only a puppy. Her name is Chippy, in French, which kind of means little devil in English, but in an affectionate way. Considering when I was living there, I played with her a lot. We are both really close, and that will have its importance later. Two of my hobbies are long walks and running. Thus, every evening, I would go out for a long walk with a dog. There's a track that follows a path through the forest. Then there's a small hill on the top of a big place with lots of fields there. I ran there a lot so I know the place. The air is fresh and the view is quite beautiful. So I was going there with the dog every day. It was also helping my grandparents to have her doing a lot of exercise. The first time we went there, nothing special happened. We just enjoyed our walk. It's about six or seven kilometers, so basically an hour's walk. The next day, we arrive on the top of the hill in the field. It was probably around 10 p.m., but there was still some light because it's summer. There were three people walking in the fields, and they were younger than me, probably around 15 or 16. I also noticed that they were smoking. My guess was that they came here so they wouldn't be seen by their parents. We went past them, I greeted them, and they greeted back. Once again, nothing special. The second week, as usual, I went for a walk with a dog and arrived at the fields. There was one of the three boys. He wasn't smoking this time though. When he saw me, I was at the entrance of the field, just after the hill climb, so the entrance of the forest was just behind me. He did a sign with his hands to catch my attention and asked if I had a lighter, which I actually had one in my pocket. I told him, yeah, sure. So he walked to me, hands in his pockets of his hoodie. 
When he came closer, for some reason, I felt a shiver. It's crazy how sometimes your instincts know there's a problem, but you don't listen to it because nothing looks weird to you. I handed over my lighter when he passed by. At that moment, my dog was staring at him. Then, everything happened really fast. He did a really fast movement with his hand, coming from his hoodie, and I only saw something shining. I had a reflex of throwing myself back so hard that I fell down. Just then, I realized that it was a knife he was holding, and he was trying to stab me. What saved me was my dog. God bless her. When she saw the guy try to stab me, she jumped on him, and he fell down. As I said before, it's a really big dog. I immediately got up to my feet and heard something behind me, and from the entrance of the forest, I saw the two guys wearing animal masks running towards me. They were probably the two friends. In those type of moments, your brain acts for itself. You don't think at all. The other guy was still on the ground. I just watched my dog and told her to run. I started running and she followed me. And just then, I heard the worst possible thing from the guy who just got up. Catch him. Don't let him go. At this moment, I was totally terrified. I was just running and hearing them running behind me. The only thing I was thinking was, how long will they follow me and who the hell are they? This was the first time I was really happy to be a runner. I was clearly better than those guys and it totally saved me because they chased for some time and it felt like an eternity to me. Fortunately, at the end of the field, there's another entrance to the forest and this time it's a descend with the road at the end. I heard the steps of the three guys vanishing as I arrived to the end of the forest. Though I didn't stop running until I arrived at my grandparents house and locked myself in. I caught a big breath and gave a huge hug to my dog. I saw their eyes and she totally understood what happened and I had never been so happy to have her in my life. After this, I told everything to my grandparents. We called the police but they never found anyone. I don't know what those guys wanted. But the animal masks really made me think something satanic. I really don't want to know anyway. I still take long walks with my hero dog, but I now go earlier in places with a little more people. I'm an 18 year old kid in culinary school. This happened back in 2009. Our program has an underground parking lot attached to the lounge of our own located behind the cafeteria. Couples like going there cause it's always empty and partially dark. I hated it cause it had a back door leading to the parking lot that was barely lit up. Barely anyone parked there, so I found it creepy. Plus being a horror fan, I knew that that was a perfect opportunity for things to go wrong. Long story short, I came out of class one day and this kid I don't know starts walking up to me, almost confrontational like. I have a knife set with me and pull out the handle, ready to defend myself. He stops and hands me a paper. It reads, meet me in the lounge. I look at him in confusion and ask who sent him with a note. Was it my boyfriend or someone in the culinary program or maybe a friend from high school? He shakes his head and says he doesn't know but I should go. I question him on what this person looks like and he refuses to give me any information. I chuckled nervously, put the note in my pocket and walked past the kid to head to class. He starts following me, asking me if I was going to go. 
I try ignoring him, heading into the library to get into a public place. He follows. He tries telling me I should go, that it's my destiny or some crap along those lines. I glare at him and pick up the pace, trying to head downstairs to the cafeteria in hopes of finding the classmate and losing the kid. He runs at the same pace, telling me he doesn't understand why I'm not going. I tell him, because I don't want to, now go away, and head into the cafeteria. By now, he's really creeping me out. I grab my phone to call the police, but instead, see a classmate and run towards him. The kid follows me, pointing towards the lounge and telling me I'm going the wrong way. I instantly panic and tell my classmate what's going on. He approaches the kid and tells him to leave me alone that I have a boyfriend and that I'm not interested. The kid tells me that they're waiting for you in the lounge and not to take long. His words just give me chills. My classmate walks me to the student restaurant and asks for some others to come with us. Three of my other colleagues come with us to the lounge and there's no one there. I get freaked out and decide that I need to go home they walk me through the campus to the parking lot where I call my parents to get a ride. One of the others stays with me while the classmate who defended me goes to report the behavior to our teachers who use the lounge as secondary offices sometimes. He then comes back to tell me that they're going to keep an eye out for any suspicious activity and for that kid. A few days later, I learned that a girl had been assaulted in that area, having parked there during the finals and gone in through the lounge. The school newspaper had reported it, but there were no details as to who did it and if they were caught. I literally felt my stomach drop, hoping that the girl was okay and hoping that those people get caught. I reported my incident to the newspaper team, but they claimed that she never dealt with anything like a note. They never found the suspects. My mom is glad I listened to my gut and didn't go. To this day, I still get chills about it. She recovered and escaped with only a few minor injuries. She got jumped, but had no money, so they left her. All I can think of is, why me? If they were going for money, I was poor and literally lived off sesame crackers donated by my classmates because I had no money. I'm just glad the other girl's okay and that I listened to my gut. Who knows what would have happened to me if I had gone. This happened to me seven years ago, when I was 16. I'd all but forgotten about it until a few weeks ago, when my mom brought it up. Necessary backstory. I grew up in a rural town in Australia. My house was 30 minutes out of town, with 20 acres of thick brush land behind it, and a driveway that was about five minutes drive on its own. The neighbor's house shared the driveway, but was surrounded by five acres. So, incredibly isolated. It always felt like a really safe place because it was so far away from other humans. But of course, that comes with its downside. No one can hear you scream. In 2012, my brother graduated from high school and my folks got sick of being so far out. So they decided to rent a house and move closer to town. By then, my mom was so used to not having neighbors that it annoyed the shit out of her. We once heard the neighbor sneezing, and that was the last straw. So a year later, at the end of the lease, we moved back, but this time without my brother, who was settled in uni. When we went back, we moved into our original rooms, 
and put all the furniture back how it was more or less. My room was the only one on the left side of the house. I chose it for the view of the shed which used to have chickens, ducks, and alpacas roaming around it. The room felt different somehow, like it wasn't mine. Instead of swapping rooms and having to do all my posters and stuff again, I just started sleeping with the light on. The only other thing that was different was the runners had left a horse float and a caravan in a padlock next to the shed. I couldn't have cared less, but my mom was calling the runners every other week to get them to move it as soon as possible. Also, at this time, my dad was working for a mining company and installing a pipeline to an island off the east coast. So he was away four weeks at a time, then home for two weeks. So onward to the point. One night when my dad was away at work and it was just me and my mom at home, I was exhausted and went to bed really early. I ended up having the absolute worst dream of my life. I was a little shit at the time being a 16 year old girl, but I barely spoke for the next few days. It had truly shaken me to my core. It started with my dog barking, as she would do for the entire 5 minutes that anyone was coming down the driveway. I went out to get her, but it was pitch black. I could only just see her standing at the edge of the grass by the drive. She was standing really aggressively in a way I only ever saw her do to the kangaroos and the neighbor's dog. I started hearing footsteps crunching on the pebbles. Then a male voice comes from the other side of the house. The dog was now running from left to right, going absolute ape shit and getting gradually closer to me like they were closing in and she was trying her hardest to protect me. I was trying to scream, but the only sounds I could make was labored breathing. I was completely paralyzed with fear. I couldn't make out what they were saying, but they were laughing to each other and whispering. This kept going on for what felt like an eternity, the mysterious male voices getting closer and closer, but never coming out of the shadows enough for me to know who they were. Eventually, I woke up. It wasn't like the movies where I jump up and was out of breath. I was just laying in bed like a dead pharaoh with my eyes open like I had never been sleeping. After a few days of acting weird, my mom finally asked me what's going on. She's not a talkative person, so she asked it offhandedly and wasn't looking at me. As I told her, she stopped what she was doing and looked at me, like I had just spoken in tongue. Turns out, the night I had the dream, shortly after I went to bed and just before sunset, two guys rocked up to the house, saying that they were there to collect the horse float. The dog went bananas at them, which was only strange because normally, as soon as you were close to her, She'd fall on the ground and demand belly scratches. My mom didn't recognize these guys from anyone in the family that rented from us, but they knew about the shit my mom wanted gone, so she put the dog in her lockup and took them to it. One of them took it upon himself to walk around the back of the house, parallel to the shed, behind the dog lockup, then came back and pointed out that there was only one car in the driveway, that he had noticed before that there was a van, even said something like, husband not home tonight, while looking at my window with a light coming through the curtains. To say the least, my mom freaked out. How did they know how many cars we had when she had never met either of them before? In an instant, she thought they must have came around before, seen two cars, and gone away. Following the man's gaze to my room, she let out a relaxed laugh and said, oh he's just in there cleaning his guns, 
But he's probably done now. I'll go get him so he can help you with the float. The most intense weapon my dad owned was a rusty machete. So I have no idea where that came from on my mom's end, but I'm internally glad for it. They protested and said that they could manage it, but she bolted inside, locked the doors, and stood there by the window with a knife and watched them drive away without the horse float. When my dad got home a week or so later, he called the runners up in a fit of rage and found out that they hadn't sent anyone to get it for them, but all their friends knew it was there because they had been trying to organize help to get both in one day. Purely because I was sleeping with the light on at the time this happened and because I went to bed early at night, my mom and I escaped a potentially serious horrific situation because you just know if my dumbass was there, I would have instantly declared, nope, just us home tonight. For the record, I'm female. I'm turning 19 this year and this story happened when I was 15. Oh, also, I'm from France. When I was 15 years old and just got into junior year, I created my first Twitter account that I deleted because of the story. Some information. I didn't tell anyone my username, neither my family nor my friends. My profile picture was an avatar, so no pictures of me on the account. And as location, I said Paris because I lived in the suburbs. I didn't have much followers. 20 or maybe 30 and I didn't follow that much people so my timeline was not really interesting. One evening in October someone sent me quite a strange direct message. It was a 200 follower account and the message was, Hi my name is Rob. I just turned 17 and wanted to know if you lived in because I will be moving there soon and go to the town high school and I'm looking for friends. That indeed was the town I lived in. I immediately thought something was wrong because there was nowhere in my profile that I said where I actually lived. But after some time thinking, I remembered a tweet I made a few weeks ago about buses and mentioned the city. So I told myself he just looked up the city and found my tweet. His age wasn't shocking because I'm two years ahead of my classmates. I was bored and he was polite so I answered him. I told him I indeed lived in that city and go to high school there. The discussion was natural and we talked a lot that night, mainly about high school, about the food at the cafeteria, about the teachers, that kind of thing. But as it was getting very late, he tried to impose some personal questions like, do you live far away from the high school? In a house or an apartment? Do you live with both your parents? There's five of you? You're not often home alone, right? I never answered because it was way too shady for me. And unfortunately, he didn't insist. I said unfortunately because if he did, I would have probably blocked him. The next day, same thing. We talked a lot and he was still asking personal questions to know me better. So I asked him too and he always answered with what seemed like honesty. I still didn't answer the questions about my house though because he didn't need to know anything. It lasted two or three weeks, but it was enough for me to develop feelings for him. He was handsome, super kind, and it was everything I needed because I was bullied for years and still am today. I still develop strong feelings, but most importantly, blind trust in people who are friendly to me. In France, it was October and we had a two week long vacation and the day before back to school day, he finally told me he was coming to my high school because he finally moved in with his mom 
and he asked me for a place to meet during morning break. I was so happy and relieved to be able to meet him and told him to join me in the hall. When he realized that there would be people around, he said he would prefer an isolated area because he was afraid he would not recognize me and didn't want to spend the whole break looking for me. It was a good excuse for me, so I told him to meet me in the third floor bathroom because we weren't allowed to stay there during the breaks and no one would disturb us. In my head, even though it was a little bit creepy, I was still in school so nothing could happen to me. Next day, back to school day, I made myself pretty, I wore my best clothes, and counted the minutes and finally, when break time arrived, I ran to the bathroom and waited. When he arrived, it was him. He was not a catfish, he looked quite like his profile picture, but I still noticed that he seemed a little bit older than he told me. I thought more like 20 years old instead of 17. We talked a lot. We got along well. I was so pleased. At the end of the break, he asked me to go with him to get fast food on lunch. I said no, because I didn't have any money, and I always refused to let people pay for me. It's a principle. He seemed disappointed, but offered to walk me home after class. I explained I have to take the bus, but that he could walk me to the bus stop. He looks disappointed again, but finally accepts. And that's exactly what happened, and it was so great that it quickly became some kind of routine. We'd meet in the third floor bathroom during the morning break, and he'd walk me to the bus stop after classes. Surprising fact, I never saw him in the hallways nor at the cafeteria, but I thought at the time that the building was huge and there was over 1,500 students in there. So if our schedules didn't coincide, there was no way we would run into each other. This little game lasted until December, so almost a month and a half. The 14th of December, a Thursday, I complained about how lonely I was going to be that evening because my dad was abroad for work. My brother always stays at his friend's house. My little sister was on a school trip and my mom had to work late that very night. It was very reckless of me, but after weeks, I thought I could trust him. That evening, he walked me to the bus stop. We both waited. I got on the bus, waved at him, and put on my earphones. I had two stops before my house. It was about 5.45 in December, so it was already really dark outside. As I got out of the bus, I had a real bad feeling. There was that very uncomfortable sensation in my stomach, and I felt like I was being watched. I pressed pause on the music, but kept the earphones in, so people thought I couldn't hear anything, and that's probably what saved my life. I lived in a suburban neighborhood, very silent, especially at night. With no visibility on the big main road, the bus passed. I heard footsteps behind me. I understood I was right. There was someone following me, and he does not have good intentions. At least I could hear that he was not accelerating, so he was not trying to catch up to me, but I couldn't guess how long that would last. As quietly as possible, I tried to reach for my keys in my pocket, and when I finally pulled them out, I ran. I ran as fast as I could, best sprint of my life. I don't know how it worked, but I managed to open the door and close it before he could reach me. I then deactivated my alarm, which by the way, confirmed that I was home alone. I took a look through the glass panel on the door. We don't have a peephole, so I'm looking through the whole window. So if someone wanted to see what was happening inside, they could. It was Rob, a few meters away, looking at me with a really creepy face. He followed me home probably with a car, and he was clearly not here for a chit chat. I still don't know why I didn't call the police. 
I was totally paralyzed. We both stared at each other for a minute, and when I finally took back control over my body, I ran into the kitchen to get a knife, and then went back to the door. He was still there, banging against the door. I feared for a second that the glass would break, but thankfully it didn't. That moment, when I was pushing against the door, praying for it not to break, while he was kicking it harder and harder, was the longest, most terrifying thing I've ever experienced. After maybe five minutes, he stopped and went around the house, knocking on every shutter, and got to the back door. He looked very angry, but then my neighbor's car pulled up in the driveway and Rob ran away, probably thinking it was my mom coming home. On Twitter, Rob sent me a thousand messages before I could block him. He then deleted his account, and I thought I was done with the story. But quickly after, some accounts, which had been created just to follow me, started popping up. Their ads were all a series of numbers with the first letter of his name, and as soon as I blocked one, another one followed me. I chose to delete my account because I couldn't make it stop, and it was too hard to endure. They were literally sending me dozens of insulting DMs. Later, I talked to the people who were supposed to be Rob's classmates because I haven't met them, but not a single one had ever heard of Rob. This guy was never a student in my high school. That's why we never met apart from our daily meetings and probably why he seems so old. I don't hear about him anymore, but I still ask myself what did he want and what could have happened that night. So Rob, let's not meet again. This happened a few years ago when I was bartending in college. I was coming home down a stretch of divided highway at around 3 a.m. when I noticed a car heading towards me in the wrong lane. I doubted myself at first and thought that the car was on the other side of the highway. Sure enough, the white Ford sedan passed me at really high speed, at least 90 miles per hour. It's worth noting for later, I also drive a white Ford sedan. I was used to seeing drunk idiot drivers in the middle of the night, so I pulled alongside the road and let him pass me. I had a moment of clarity and thought to call the police, thinking that this person could hurt themselves or someone else. The dispatcher answered and after telling them which road and exit mile marker I was at, they told me that they would send a car. The state police station was only a few exits away, so I figured they would send someone and I would just drive home. As I headed back onto the highway, I noticed lights a few miles behind me. I live in a more rural part of southern Pennsylvania, and traffic at 3am tends to be truckers and cops. The car gains on me when I was getting up to speed, and I stay on the right lane and waited to pass. Instead, it flipped on the high beams, making it uncomfortable to drive, and rode my tailgate. At this point, I thought I would be pulled over by the police. I drove a white Ford sedan and I just called about a different white Ford sedan. So I grabbed my registration from the glove box. Suddenly, the car behind me audibly slammed on its brakes and stopped in the middle of the highway. They must have just shut off their car because the lights went out and I saw what looked like the same sedan from earlier. I thought it may have been a police car. They had a roof rack and it also could have looked like I reached for a gun from a glove box or something. I panicked and called 911 for the second time. I asked the dispatcher if they had sent a cruiser to investigate. The dispatcher assured me that they had sent somebody out. Dispatcher. We sent trooper out to find the car, sir. I only asked because someone is following me and acting weird. 
It could be a cop, and I think I freaked them out by getting my registration. Are you pulled over? No, they didn't turn on their lights. Let me try to get the trooper we sent out. As she was talking, the car sped towards me again and stopped inches from my bumper. Again, the high beams were on, and again, they slammed on their brakes. I told the dispatcher, I'm pretty sure it's not the police behind me. The car sped up on my bumper again and turned their high beams on, this time laying on the horn. Hearing this, the dispatcher asked me what was happening. What's, what's happening? Did you honk? That's a car behind me. I don't think it's a cop. I'll try to get the trooper again, but I don't think it's him behind you. For some reason, this is what shook me. Before that, I thought that I was getting pulled over and maybe get a ticket. Up until then, I was going the speed limit and trying to avoid getting pulled over. I told the dispatcher, I don't care if I get pulled over. I'm speeding and if they put their lights on, then I'll pull over. I started accelerating and the person behind me just kept up with me. The speed limit was 55 and they kept on my bumper the entire time, but this time they were swerving. I tried to signal for the exit, then bailed on it, but they followed. At the next exit, I took the off-ramp and continued on the on-ramp, and the car behind me followed me the whole time. I thought about trying to go to the Wawa, a convenience and gas station that was pretty much the only populated place in southeastern Pennsylvania at 3 a.m., but the dispatcher thought that that would be unsafe. She was calm and talking to another person trying to send police to me. The other person, maybe a supervisor, asked if I could drive to the state police station. Realizing that I was one exit away, I told her I was coming there, and she said that she would have troopers to meet me outside. As I pulled off the exit, the car followed me. I blew a few red lights to get to the police station, and the car tried to pull into the other lane to pass me or pull up alongside me. Once the police station was in view, I put on my turn signal, and the car slammed on its brakes again, turned off their lights, and turned into a parking lot. The story kind of ends anticlimactically as I pulled into the police station and met the troopers. Two of them went out to find the car and I stayed with the third trooper. I thanked the dispatcher and her supervisor and the state trooper escorted me home after taking a statement from me. I was never called for a follow up so I can only assume they didn't catch this person. As unbelievable as my story may sound. I promise I'm not trolling, and every word I'm about to write is the honest truth. I can't specifically remember what grade I was in, but I do remember I was in the middle school. I remember this detail because when this event took place, I was with someone that was only my friend during middle school years. After that, my friend moved away, and we lost touch. This story takes place on the outskirts of St. Louis, Missouri, during the 1980s. For reference, we will call the friend I was with, Amy. It had been a fun day with Amy. My mom dropped us off at the mall where we had been wandering around window shopping and trying on clothes. This was a very teeny mall in a small town on the outskirts of St. Louis. Because this mall was so tiny, it didn't have a lot of restaurants or even a food court. However, there was a McDonald's across the way. To get there faster, you would cut through a field that was between the mall parking lot and a street. Once you cut through the field and crossed the road, the McDonald's was right there. So Amy and I went to McDonald's, ordered our food, and sat down. 
We were eating our ice cream and chatting away when a man walked in and sat down at the table in front of us. The way we were sitting put Amy's back to him and left me facing his direction. Almost immediately, I began to get an uneasy feeling because not only did this man not order anything to eat, he just sat there the entire time staring at me with the angriest look on his face. He wasn't even trying to hide the fact that he was staring. I also remember he had piercing eyes that were bright blue. Now keep this in mind, this was before cell phones were abundant, so calling my mom wasn't an option. Also, being as young as I was, it never occurred to me in my childlike mind that I should maybe get an attention of an adult working there and ask to use the phone. All I can remember thinking was, this scary man is making me feel very uncomfortable. So Amy and I finished our food and ice cream. I had to use her head to obstruct the man's view of my face and whisper to her what he had been doing. I told her if he followed us out, we needed to run. Sure enough, as soon as we got up to leave, so did he. We rushed out the door as fast as we could. Then we began to sprint. I looked behind me and he was getting into one of those boat-sized cars that they made in the 70s and early 80s. Lucky for us, there wasn't much traffic, so we were able to cross the street before he had a chance to get us. When we got to the field, I turned around to look to see where he was again. Before I go further, let me note that next to the field was a street that ran horizontally, the one we just crossed, and then to the left of the field was another street that ran vertically. The street intersected the one we had just crossed, so the field was basically in the corner of these streets. The street to the left didn't run in a perfectly straight line though. It ran in a diagonal direction that would eventually take you to the mall parking lot. This was good because when I turned around again, I could see that he was watching us to see where we were going. Next, he turned onto the street to the left of us and was driving very fast. He was definitely coming for us. Like I said, the street that ran diagonally took him in the direction away from us but would eventually end up in the same parking lot. It was obvious that he was trying to get to the mall parking lot before we could get there because the road he was on went away from us and we were shortcutting it through the field plus running as fast as we could. We were able to get inside of the mall before he could catch us. We got very, very lucky. Once we got inside the mall, we frantically ran up to the security guard and told him what happened. Shockingly enough, he blew our story off as an exaggerated tale of two dramatic middle school children. Things were much different back then. Today if kids approached an adult with a story like that, the police would be called right away and a description of the man and vehicle would be taken. Even worse than that, when Amy and I told my mother the story, she blew it off as well. My mother was emotionally neglectful and was definitely not the best parent growing up. I had serious trust issues towards adults growing up because of many situations like this. I never felt protected by people that should have listened and kept me safe. I felt alone and unheard. This event being an important reason why I felt this way. But that's another story. So fast forward to a few days ago. My husband was watching a YouTube video about serial killers. I stopped dead in my tracks because as he was watching it, a familiar picture popped up on the video. One of the pictures of the men mentioned in the video was a man from McDonald's. 
I'm 95% certain it was him. His name was Tommy Linsells. Let me add, I have an excellent memory and am definitely a visual learner. I suck at names but never forget faces. I can even remember a few people and events from when I was only 3 years old. This was such a scary event that I never forgot that man's face or the angry look that radiated off of him. It definitely stayed engraved in my young mind. No doubt that man was evil. My husband already knew my story. When I told him I thought that it was the man who attempted to kidnap me, he was a bit skeptical. So together, we decided to do a little further research on the guy. What came up only solidified what I expected. Tommy Lee Sills was killing people, sometimes young girls my age, and he was indeed killing people in the St. Louis area during that time. He was also working carnivals and traveling, killing other people in other states. Unlike most serial killers, he didn't have a type. Anyone he could get his hands on was fair game. He just liked the rush of killing. What made this creeper was the mall that Amy and I were at had a carnival going on every summer in the parking lot on the other side of where we were. I can't remember what month it was when this happened, but I do remember the weather was hot. I'm relatively positive it was summertime. I wonder if he was working for that carnival. The picture of him on Wikipedia is exactly what the man in McDonald's looked like, even down to the same evil, angry look. I will never forget that expression. I've been mauling over and over this ever since. I don't know if I should contact the FBI with my story. Though he was executed in 2014, law enforcement knows of 22 murders he committed, but they suspect there are many, many more. The story might place him in the area someone disappeared from, but I don't know how helpful considering I can't remember the exact month or year. I don't even know if I would be believed. What would you readers do? I'm a 35 year old female and my story takes place when I was 15, but it feels like yesterday. It was a day that would change my innocent youth forever. I'm from a little village in Ireland with a population of a few hundred. The nearest town is about 10 miles away. Growing up in rural Ireland was very idealistic. Summers were spent playing football with neighbors or going to the lake swimming till the sun went down. I was lucky that even though the population was small and the houses are far apart, my best friend's house was only down the road. So during those summer months, Mary and I were inseparable. My friend and I grew up with lots of brothers and sisters in a safe village. We were given a lot of freedom and sometimes were gone all day, only to come back before dark. It was the mid-90s with no mobile phones, but our moms knew that we would be okay and look out for each other. One thing I liked during these summers, besides going to the lake and hanging out at each other's houses, was to go to town and look around the shops. The easiest way to get to town was to hitchhike, as there were no buses. Here in Ireland, we call it thumbing. Hardly anyone hitches now because most households have two cars and parents are a lot more protective. But back in the 80s and 90s, it was very common. Our parents were okay with it, but there were certain rules we had to follow. I'm not entirely sure who came up with these rules, but I assume our parents did. Rule number one, 
Never hitch alone. You must thumb with at least one or two friends. Number two. Never take a lift if there are two men in the car, but two or more women is fine. Number three. Never take a lift from someone in a van. There could be more guys hiding in the back. Number four. This is the most important rule. When the car stops to pick you up, always ask the driver where they are going first. If you tell them where you're going first, they can pretend they're going the same place to lure you in. We were innocent, but had common sense, so we followed the rules down to a T, at least we tried to. My friend Mary and I used to hitch once a week during the summer. We would go to town with a population of a few thousand and look around the shops, eat ice cream, and hang out. When we got a ride, we had to make small talk with the driver, and as two shy 15-year-olds, this bit sucked the most. To make it fair, we took turns sitting in the front and did most of the talking. One day, we spent a few hours in town. It was pretty uneventful, so we decided to thumb back. At around 3 p.m., we went to our usual spot to hitch from, just on the outskirts of town. We were only waiting for about five minutes when a car pulled up. Before we could ask where he was going, he asked us first. My friend told him, and he said he was passing through our village on the way to another one. Rule number four broken, but he seemed nice enough, and we just wanted to go home. It was my turn to sit in the front seat. The driver introduced himself as John, a farmer, and was super friendly. He was dressed in a worn tee with holes in it. He had tattered pants and smelled like cow shit. The car was full of bits of straw and was old and battered, like the driver. He was about 60, had no wedding ring on. Don't ask me why I noticed these things. About halfway between town and our village, he asked if we heard a noise. We replied no. There it is again. Sounds like a banging noise, he said. I didn't hear anything, so I just sat there quietly. I think it might be the exhaust pipe. I'll have to pull over to take a look. He pulled up on a busy road and went to go take a look. I didn't hear anything, said Mary. He seems like a weirdo, I said. Call it intuition, but even though he was super friendly and chatty, I got a bad feeling from him. Next thing, he comes back to the driver's side and tells us that the exhaust is hanging down and was hitting off the road. He tells us that he needs help to tie it up. It was then I noticed that he had a string holding up his pants instead of a belt. I thought this was odd. Anyway, he got some string from his boot, same color string as the belt, and we both got out of the car. Although I got a bad vibe from him, I didn't feel scared at this stage. We were on a really busy road and it was about 3.30pm, so we both got out of the car. He showed us the exhaust pipe hanging down and used a rag to hold it up since it was hot. My friend Mary took over holding it up while he secured it with a string. They were both kneeling while I stood back and watched. It was then I noticed his fly was open and I could see his private. He was clearly not wearing any underwear. He didn't have a belt on so I guess I wasn't that surprised. In my head I thought, oh fuck, what is going on? Oh shit, oh shit. But I said nothing. I just stood there in shock. Mary hadn't noticed this at the stage and continued to help with the pipe. 
When John was standing, he noticed his fly was open and acted all shocked. Oh girls, I'm so sorry and embarrassed. I only have a safety pin holding the fly together and it must have come off. Please forgive me and get back in the car. Mary was stunned because she got a close-up on his privates, which left me to do the talking. I told him it was okay and that it was an accident, so we both got back in the car. He fastened the safety pin, even though I didn't see him look for it. At least all was hidden again. Back in the car, the atmosphere was very different. We both felt mortified, and he kept apologizing over and over again. I looked at the passenger window and repeated, It's okay, it's okay. Then he said something that made my stomach turn. Well, girls, you're taking it very well. If I didn't know better, I swear you liked it. Then he nudged me in my arm with his arm, like you would do with a friend. I looked at him through the corner of my eye, my face still facing the window, when I noticed the fly was undone again, and he was exposed again. He must have noticed me looking because he said, Oh sorry, the safety pin keeps opening. Just don't look. Fine by me, I thought, but I said okay and continued to look out the window. He kept nudging me and saying, Don't be looking. Don't be looking. Giggling at the same time. He was doing it in a playful way, like it was a joke. Mary started giggling too, because when she is nervous, she laughs. I know it wasn't her fault, but I was getting angry at this stage. He wouldn't stop telling me to stop looking. Then he said, Your friend is laughing. She must be enjoying the view. This made her laugh even louder. Now remember, we are both polite 15 year olds that always respect their elders and are a little shy and would never speak up to an adult. The nudging on my arm and my friend laughing was getting too much. He asked if this was the first bully I've seen and told me once again to stop looking. I was turned facing the passenger window so much that I had my back to him. There was no way I could be looking. I lost my temper. I shouted out at the top of my voice. I'm not fucking looking. Mary, shut the fucking laughing up. Silence followed. He said he was sorry that he was only joking and I didn't need to be so serious. I said nothing and sat there, red with temper. I should have told him to let us out. I should have told him to cover himself up, the dirty old perv. But I was in shock too, and a part of me wanted to believe it was all an innocent mistake. We finally arrived in my teeny safe village. We got out and he said again that he was sorry about the whole thing. My friend got her voice back and assured him it was okay. I said it was all okay, not to worry about it, and said thanks for the lift. What he said back sickened me. He looked me up and down with a creepy smile and said, Girlies, thanks for everything, and drove off. We were left speechless. We sat down on a nearby bench to process all of this before going home. We made a deal we wouldn't tell our parents or they'll never let us hitchhike again. My friend got her voice back and repeated, pervert sicko, smelly bastard. He had this planned the whole time, over and over. About five minutes after sitting down on the bench, who drives by going in the direction we just came from? Only pervert farmer John, waving and smiling while we both sat stunned. He had beeped to catch our attention, so much for just passing through our village. Went to the back of my mind, occasionally we would talk about Farmer John, but we made jokes about it 
and told some of her friends what happened. One day, I told a friend of mine named Brid, and a cousin of hers had told her a very similar story. The cousin lived in another village about 20 minutes in another direction from town. She was a few years older than us. While hitchhiking home one day, the same thing happened to her and her friend. The exhaust, the safety pin, and the undone fly. It was no accident and my worst fears were confirmed. Farmer John, really it was pervert John. So to the man that smells like cow shit, has worn clothes, and uses a string to hold up his pants. And to the man who gets off exposing himself to young girls. Let's not meet again.